2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Max. Before we get started, I've got a uh, podcast recommendation for you. It's called Aspen Ideas To Go, and it's a uh, to-go version of the Aspen Ideas Festival. The show features in-depth conversations with all kinds of innovative thinkers who speak at the festival. You can get a front row seat to talks from artists, scientists, business leaders, policymakers, and other really, really interesting people some of whom you've heard of, some of whom maybe you haven't. Go subscribe to Aspen Ideas to Go on whatever app you're listening to this show on. Again, that's Aspen Ideas to Go. You can also find it at aspenideas.org slash podcast. And I also wanted to mention that uh, the Vanity Fair collection, Women on Women, that was edited by Vanity Fair's editor-in-chief, Radhika Jones, uh, is out. It's available now. She and I talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, and you can now purchase the book. Go get it. It's called Women on Women. It's an incredible anthology of writing from Vanity Fair. Here's the show. Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Back in effect. Good morning. Max, who's on the uh, who's on the show? Max is stressed. He's stressed out right now. I'm a, I'm a little stressed. I'm not feeling well. I'm, yeah. a little, I'm a little beat up. Yeah. I had a long uh, evening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you're stressed because you're doing an interview for this show. Right. I'm about to, I'm the, about to interview uh, this week's guest. It's to the benefit of the listeners, your stress. <laughs> uh, I'm in that pre-interview stress mode because uh, I'm about to talk to Ashley Feinberg of Slate, formerly of HuffPost, Wired, Gizmodo, Gawker. Uh, she is best known uh, for her internet sleuthing, and she just recently unmasked the Twitter account of one Pierre Delecto. Oh, that was her. Oh, oh yes, wow. Sir. You oh, know yes, it was sir. her. When you, you, when you see a story yeah. like that, it's there, her. There's only one person who could find Pierre Delecto. I, I admit that Pierre Delecto came to me like second or third hand. It wasn't like from source material. Someone just told me about Pierre Delecto. But I think it's ever, ever since Kevin Durant's burner was uh, revealed, I feel like there's a great like cultural history of the celebrity burner account waiting to be written. Well, that that history can uh, not be written without like mentioning Ashley in the first sentence. She is like responsible for 99% of the ones you know about. James Comey's Twitter. Oh, yeah. She yeah. found that one. She found the uh, the Ashley Madison guy. Oh, this sounds excellent. Do you mind if I just sit in here and just have, I'll be I'll be I'll be quiet. I'll just stay in the corner. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I've been wanting to have her on for a long time. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, although I am stressed. So let's end this intro so I can get get prepped. Well, one thing I would say is uh, having a secret Twitter is uh, so last year. It's all about a secret newsletter this year. <laughs> With MailChimp, they make it easy. You know, I guess you probably don't want to start it under your real email. So you're going to need a burner email. Then you sign up for MailChimp with that. Start setting out the newsletter that will uh, scandalize America. Thanks, MailChimp. And now here's Max with Ashley Feinberg. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Max. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. I am happy that uh, you are here. I have, I have questions. I, have, I hope I have answers. We'll see. Uh, I feel like we should, um, we should start with Pierre. Yeah. 
I was like, who's Pierre for a second? But I <laughs> really, remember, you were like, who's Pierre? I, I a have a terrible memory, and b I'm just generally unaware of my surroundings, so it uh, took a second. But yeah. All right. Well, you're here on the podcast. I'm gonna ask you questions about your work. I'm there so far. Okay. <laughs> your your uh, most recent article, if you don't recall, was uh-huh. about uh, Mitt Romney's secret Twitter account. Yes. The handle of which was Pierre Delecto. Well, the handle was like random letters. The right. Display name was Pierre Delecto. Yes. Pierre Delecto, one of the great fake names of all time. Like, I feel like yes. Pierre Delecto has entered the American lexicon. Mitt Romney is just bland enough a figure to think that when he needs to create a pseudonym, like, Pierre is the most exotic, like, kind of <laughs> anti-Romney thing he can think of. Like, it's impossible to think of the name without imagining Romney and, like, a pencil-thin mustache with, like, a holding a baguette and just, like, walking through, like, a striped shirt. But doesn't Pierre Delecto just sound like French Mitt Romney? Yes, I mean, <laughs> that, that is... <laughs> French Mitt. <laughs> Pedro Lecto would have absolutely strapped a dog to his car and uh, driven the family. thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, how do you do this? Like, well, how did this happen? Walk me through how you found Mitt Romney's secret Twitter. Well, that Sunday morning, when McKay Coppin, this piece came out. There was a piece in The Atlantic, like mm-hmm. uh, the state of Mitt Romney. Right, right. Mitt of. Romney, the next big Trump battler. Uh, I, I looked at my phone like around noon and I had like five mentions from people on Twitter being like, he has a secret Twitter account, like you have to find it. And I hate it when that happens, honestly, because I hate when people at me and like tell me I have to do this thing just because like I feel immediately compelled to not do it. (laughs) But then also with like this specifically, if anyone else found it, I was going to A, hate myself and like B, my editor, Tom Skoka, would have been mad at me. So I figured I had to try. And uh, it really didn't take very long at all. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think it took me like 25 minutes to like sit down on my computer and figure out which one I thought was his. And then I spent like the next however many hours like making a case for it. What happens in those 25 minutes? You yeah. sit down on Twitter, you get these mentions that like there's a secret Twitter. Mm-hmm. What is your first step? Uh, so the first thing I did was, I mean, looked at the piece and like collected all the data points he had offered. Like he'd given the follower count. He had mentioned that he follows his niece on Instagram so he's like clearly a like a family watcher and there was a couple other things and uh yeah I just looked for which Romney offspring or grandchildren had the least amount of followers because yeah it's basically just a matter of like loading every one of their followers and just like scrolling through it and kind of keeping an eye out for the ones without profile pictures and then just opening like 20 tabs of everyone who it might possibly seem to be and then going through them and like weeding out which ones have too many followers compared to like what number he said. And then from those, just like seeing what they've been doing to like see who it might be. And it is like technically it's kind of tedious, right? Like just because of the way Twitter works, just to like scroll through followers and stuff. Yeah, well, actually, uh, so when Twitter did their redesign, they really fucked me up because what used to happen is you would scroll down and the followers would stay loaded like above your actual screen. But now when you scroll down, it will only load what's like immediately on the screen. So you can't just like scroll through and do like a control F or like anything. Yeah. But uh, I found a Chrome extension that works for now and like brings it back to the old one. But <laughs> when that goes away, I'm going to, I'm not sure what's going to happen. All right. So, well, let's stay with Pierre. Yeah. All right. So you spend 25 minutes. You were like, all right, I think this is probably the one. Mm-hmm. And then what happens next? So I was basically like, I was like slacking with my editor, Tom, throughout the whole thing, just like pasting in shit as I found it to kind of collect. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was still semi-skeptical, but he told me to start writing it up. And so like, as I was writing it, collecting more stuff, I saw that like he was following basically all of the former Mitt Romney aides and advisors and whatever over the years that would make absolutely no sense for anyone else except for like a Mitt Romney super fan that doesn't exist to follow. Yeah. And uh, basically just like as I was building my case, I became more and more convinced. And so once it was done, I was like, felt like it was strong enough to actually go forward with because the actual other thing I forgot to include in the piece was on Twitter, if you go open a, an incognito window and say you forgot your password and then you put in the username, if they either do or don't have two-factor turned on, it will give you the first couple letters of their email address and, like, the first letter of the URL that it's at. And Mitt Romney's URL was at M with the exact correct number of letters for it Romney. Yeah. And then uh, M-I was the first two letters of the email address. So that seemed pretty likely to be him. <laughs> and so at that point, you're like, uh, it's got to be, like, pretty exciting. You're like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is exciting, but, like, 
after I hit publish on those, I'm always just like extremely anxious until there's like some definitive proof. Cause just like if it is wrong, like that's gonna fucking suck. <laughs> and, like, cause there's always like a chance. Cause they never actually answer my emails asking for confirmation and like. But you do send those emails. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, then they never respond. So like I'm always just like I really hope this is it. Cause if it's not, like that's gonna suck really bad. Do you feel in any way like it's like um tipping your hand to send them that email? Uh, well, we we do it. I write the whole thing up first, and then we send it, and we give them like an hour maybe, just in case they try to like either give it to some more friendly outlet or something else. But usually it's fine. Yeah. But just in case, yeah, we have it ready to go in case they try to like blow up our spot. And you like screenshot everything so they um, don't like delete it and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I have a extension that will take screenshots of the whole page, so like. When I load all of his followers, I can set it to like just like screenshot literally every single thing that's like on there. <laughs> all right. So and it's interesting to me that like you're a little anxious that you might be wrong because mm-hmm. I feel like you have found this language, this like caveat language. Yeah. Particularly like I feel like in the headlines of these pieces that it's like, this is almost surely <laughs> this person's Twitter. Um, do you know like when you put that post up that like, Pierre Delecto was about to become like an American phenomenon. Like, I feel like it was like at the top of the maw yeah, for I w- 48 hours. Or I, w- I was kind of surprised actually. Like, I, I feel like it became more of like a thing than the Comey one did. It didn't, really? I think so. It's also maybe just like recency bias, but like. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think partially because he, I mean, like presidential candidates are more like figures in Americans' minds. Especially then, James Comey wasn't like a... He, he wasn't like doing his like Instagram shit and like babbling brooks and stuff. Do you think that he would have done that if you had not found that name? I wonder about that a lot. If like I had a hand in like him trying to create this like image of himself, like that was like deeply depressing to me and I hope desperately that's not the case. But uh, yeah, I have no idea. I really hope not. Because it was... I mean, I remember when you wrote that story... It was like a huge thing. It went uh, crazily viral mm-hmm. and it made him more famous. I know. I hate that. Every time he tweets, like I, I, there's like a little like twinge in my like neck that just like kind of just like it hurts so much. Let's talk about that one. The process wise for a second. Was it mm-hmm. was it um, really different than Romney? It was a lot harder. I mean, partially it was harder just because I used like some of the tactics I used for Comey on Romney. So I was like better at it. But also he clearly trained his kids a lot better for good reason than Romney was having his family do like uh right like Comey knows his way around some like uh some privacy yeah yeah like all all his kids instagrams were like locked down his son had deleted his twitter account and like also had changed the name at one point and none of them used profile pictures like none of them used their real names like it was like much much more difficult how did you start did you get a tip no, well, he was also speaking at, like, some dinner and, like, dropped a whole bunch of clues about, like, he has a secret Twitter account and, like, these are how many people he follows on Instagram. This is who he follows on Instagram. And, like, this is, like, what he uses it for. And, like... Do you think that when he does that or when Romney mentions it in The Atlantic and, like, lists the specific mm-hmm. follower count, do you think that they, like, want to get caught? I don't think Comey did. And I wondered about Romney, but I don't think he did because... I think if he'd wanted to get caught, he would have not made it immediately private and then done the whole Comey, like, here's what I actually think, and, like, done a whole bunch of, like, silhouette shots against, like, cornfields. But, like, uh, <laughs> and also after I did it, I didn't include her username in the piece, but his granddaughter, who I used to, like, find him, also made her shit immediately private after that happened. And, like, I think that, yeah, I don't think that was intentional. So why are they talking about it if they don't want to get caught? I mean, Comey was talking about it because basically, like, I think the fact that Trump uses Twitter, like, these politicians have to talk about, like, how they use Twitter. Because, like, Romney claims not to ever see his tweets, which seems absurd. (laughs) And I think probably is. And uh, Comey, yeah, he was talking about how he maintains his privacy and, like, how important it is and how, and this is how he keeps his, like, Instagram and Twitter private, which also felt like a challenge. So, yeah. And help me understand how differently you felt with Comey to Romney. Like, when you heard Comey start dropping these hints at that talk, mm-hmm. were you like, oh, that's a challenge. This is my shit? Yeah. Because like, I assume that people were not hearing that and being like, Ashley, right, right. go to it. This is your thing. Like, how, how, do, how did that feel different so, to you? I mean, uh, before 
Comey, I I'd, like done stuff about like Don Jr.'s like hunting form. And like I also just like, especially at like Gawker, it was very fun to find my coworkers like old blogger accounts and like. Wait, is this how that's, is that how this started? That yeah, you, I mean, it started, That you were like fucking with your friends? Yeah, it started in like high school and college, like basically trying to find the most embarrassing things about my friends online that I could. And like it was an extremely fun pastime and everyone gets very, very embarrassed. And it is, there is genuinely nothing better than that. And so. It was not like a stretch to start applying that to like my work and my daily life. It might not have been a stretch because you had the skills, but was it like, um, I mean, you you really started doing this at Gawker and Gizmodo. Mm -hmm. What were those conversations like when you were like, I want to try and do this? I I don't like pitch a lot of stuff. I mainly just like look at shit and it's like, hey, I found this or like, this is whatever. I'm writing this up. But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think like the first one I really found i'm not sure it, it must have been like the don Giro hunting form thing i think yeah. that's kind of how it got started but uh like how, how did you well, end, I, end up looking on hunting forums for so we got a tip actually about the don jr one and then uh i started like looking more and then I realized there were like tons and tons and tons of the shit and he was just like doing this constantly and he's actually started posting again recently i've noticed but on the same hunting forum yeah there's like a there were ones he used a little less but like i noticed he logged back in like maybe like a year ago and like he's been like posting up like a few things but nothing too good so far but uh for people who don't know that story like what were the good things he was posting i mean mainly like the the, the thing that was most disappointing about that was like he clearly knew what he was talking about and was like well respected among the forums and like but he was also just like posting like stupid like dumb like asshole jokes about like uh how kids need to toughen up and like need need to be bullied more like uh how like fat kids need to have spoons taken away from them and it's like stuff like that but yeah and so I'm, I'm waiting for more of that but so far he's been clean so are you now like in the pie chart of your work mm-hmm. how big is the slice that is like digging for stuff i mean I think it, so like Every time Trump announces a new set of like nominations that are more than just like ambassador Pluto potentially to like blah blah blah, uh, I'll kind of do like a quick scan of like who they are basically to a see if they're young enough to seem like they might have some weird shit online and like b uh, whether they seem like they're like insane or online enough to like do shit that's interesting and I'll kind of dig more into it if someone seems promising, but. Uh, yeah, it's not too much. Like with the Romney thing, I would never have looked if he hadn't said anything. And like, right. there's just there's just like too many routes to go to make it not a maddening experience. Just like try to find that stuff. Except for like on Wikipedia, I'll like go through candidates' pages to see if it seems like they have like a PR person like trying to like clean their stuff up or yeah. Are you like um? Are you organized about those check-ins? Not at all. Do you no. like alerts that's like go check? you know, whatever. Uh, no, I probably like should. That'd be useful. I'm extremely disorganized and like, yeah, I mean, I, I will have like 10 things I'm juggling at once and forget about five of them until like a year later. And then, yeah, just kind of whatever is immediately in like the front of my head is like what I'm doing. <laughs> just like people are, yeah. are mentioning you on Twitter and saying, please look into Romney. You just focus on that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what was the, um, what was like the best thing you found on one of your friends when you were doing that? I'm trying to think. Um, I have no idea. I just can't remember at all. <laughs> it seems like um, I should have realized that like it started with you doing this to your friends, yeah. but uh, it, it makes it feel like maybe you're like a complicated person to be friends with. <laughs> I mean, it's, the thing is, I also know like which friends can like take it and like which can't. So, and also like the people I'm friends with generally can just because, yeah, I have a hard time like feigning just like polite niceness or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, the problem is, like, I, especially with, like, me, like, people will, like, tell me something very interesting and I'll forget it, like, in, like, 10 minutes <laughs> until, like, it materializes again. So I'm sure there's so much good shit that's, like, come my way that I've completely forgotten about it and I just never know what it was. Do you think that disorganization is somehow, like, helpful to you in your work? Not even remotely, no. <laughs> I think that it is a, a big detriment that I should try to correct, but just haven't been able to care enough to. Here, here's a question mm-hmm. I have. Uh, these things, these stories that you do... They get so big yeah. uh, on the internet, is my experience of them. Like, they're mm-hmm. everywhere. I was looking, like, just before we sat down here, like, just, like, Googled Pierre Delecto. Yeah. And it's like, there is not a news website that did not write about right. that story. Why do you think they are so 
crazily engaging to people. Like I also, I saw some stat that the Pierre Delecto thing is like one of the most read things ever on Slate and people are spending incredible amounts yeah. of time. Like why do you, what's your theory? Why do you think these things touch such a nerve? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's like the reason that I am interested in the first place is like, I mean, the whole thing about politics is like they are basically like creating this like character and this like mask and like that is who they are supposed to be and like that is who they try to like project to the world and the fact that we know that it's not really them but like we have no access to like what they actually are like this is the closest we get to like actually seeing what like they're doing when they think no one is watching or whatever they're doing saying behind closed doors that we can't see like this is the most unfiltered access to like what they're actually thinking because yeah Romney can like get up there and say he thinks Trump is doing blah 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 but like we don't have any fucking idea if like he really thinks that or like if this is like his three-dimensional chess trick to like project himself to like the Republican opponent or like what but do you think that what you find on these pages are revealing or is like mostly what's revealing that they have to create secret lives I mean, I think it depends. I think, like, with, like, Comey's, for instance, I, there wasn't that much that was really... Yeah, he's kind of a goober. Yeah, it was, like, how it was when I found it. Like, he wasn't tweeting anything. He was, like... It was interesting that he was, like, following, like, David Brooks and, like, these, like, specific people. But, like, yeah, I mean, his, like, likes weren't anything particularly, like, scandalous. It was just the fact that the FBI director uh, had a Twitter account that was findable by me an idiot was like a thing in itself but like yeah and with Romney he was like defending himself which is like the perfect thing for Romney to be doing right that really says something that it's like part of this is about defending yourself it's like uh Kevin yeah. Durant had a, like a burner account the basketball mm-hmm. player and was like going on and like getting in people's mentions about yes. how he's good at basketball he's like the best basketball player in the world is spending his time yeah that's, that's the thing it's like he's like immensely powerful people who have like power that we can never even begin to dream of like choosing to use their time to like prop themselves up from like these like anonymous like sock puppet accounts that they think no one knows is them yeah i mean basically like what that indicates is that on some level like mitt romney is like a pretty insecure person oh yeah yeah like an insecure person and just like far more concerned with like mitt romney than like anything else i could like see on his twitter account so your theory for why these things uh, seem to resonate so much with people is that it is, while it doesn't like uncover everything, it just exposes that this hypocrisy right. that you think is there is in fact there in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think it like depends who it is. Like either it's like a hypocrisy or like it's like a basically an indicator that like they really are just as like petty and insecure and like as any one of us. And uh, yeah, this like kind of it reveals this like great facade of power is like just that uh, facade is it fun yeah i mean well it's fun when i find it it's like a very very satisfying feeling to like reach a like definite conclusion and like solution when i don't it's like three hours down the drain but otherwise it is how often do you hit dead ends like how often are you doing this and you don't land it every time i know for a fact there is a set answer i think i've found it like i will like matt gates for instance i feel very confident that there's something out there and I haven't been able to find it and I just refuse to believe that he's not doing something weird online just because like he's who he is and like uh, Don Jr. actually for instance uh, he definitely has at least one other Twitter account because like if you put his phone number into the very I forgot my password thing it says there are multiple accounts connected to this phone number and I haven't been able to find it and it like drives me fucking insane like there was one day actually where I deleted everything off my phone I rebooted it from factory settings the only number I put in the address book was his I made a new iCloud account just so nothing would be connected to it I made a new Twitter account I told it to upload my contacts from my phone so it would only his number would upload and I told it to find friends based on my contacts but it wouldn't do it which like I if, if it worked was going to be brilliant but like instead it was just like i just have to reload my phone now for five hours do you ever text don jr no i don't want him to know i have his number yet i hope he just isn't listening to this all right so that's why it resonates so much with people is that it just reveals this facade mm-hmm. how is it that like you are the person who is doing this yeah I and mean, i think honestly part of it is just that like no one else thought to for a little bit uh just because why would you? But yeah, I don't know. I wondered about that too. Like the thing with, especially with Mitt Romney, it, like it really 
wasn't very hard to find. Like, I think anyone who has used Twitter a lot and, like, knows how to search for things probably could have found it. But, yeah, it's just a matter of, I guess, wanting to. And, like, I have that whatever, like, whatever is broken in me that, like, drives me to do this is working so far. Well, what is that? How did it end up being that you were the person who spends all this time tracking this stuff down? If, if I mean, I don't think anyone could do it. I think that's not true. But why do you do it? I mean, yeah, like at this point, like I, honestly, part of it is just that like it is an expectation and like I will be like really mad if like someone does it before me just because, yeah, it's like a, a competitive thing almost. And then also, I mean, like part of the like most fun thing about reporting stuff is like knowing something before literally anyone else does. And it's just like very fun to like even just for like a few hours like have this piece of knowledge that like no one else does but then also just because like I am a gossip I also want to tell literally everyone so it's like (laughs) I get to indulge in both of those things which is great I'm interested in how it evolves because it also feels to me like part of the story is that we're just living in this like unique moment where these platforms have been around long enough that some people really know their way around Mm -hmm. them but also they're so young that the platforms themselves haven't really thought about how to like stop this or even like thought about it very much and then you've got people like Mitt Romney who are like have no idea what they're doing and it just feels to me like there's like this brief like glitch where like Mm -hmm. you can get in and discover this stuff how do you think it evolves like will Twitter start figuring out how to stop you from doing this or will Mitt Romney stop having secret Twitter accounts like what happens next for this shit I think about that a lot actually like there's definitely an expiration date on this stuff like Every time I do it, it gets a little bit harder just because, like, with Comey, like, the, like, key was, like, when I requested to follow who I was pretty sure was his son and, uh, like, a thing popped up saying, like, also follow these people, which was, like, where I first saw his thing. Uh, Oh, really? That does not happen anymore. They got rid of that, like, pretty soon after that thing posted. Because it was a private account? Yeah. And just because, like, it was clear that, like, there was this, like, information leak that they weren't aware of that, like, they suddenly realized was there that, like can help people find people yeah and like as people become more aware that like it's possible to find these things they're going to be more careful and like and also yeah I mean I think it was also just like this time period of I mean I'm of the first generation that like grew up with computers their entire lives so like it's very natural to me and the people currently in power did not which is great for me because like they are not familiar with like how to mask their identities and like how these platforms are able to be used like the only reason i really know how to keep whatever i'm doing private is because i know how to find other people right so it's just like which yeah they don't do you think that um at some point there's going to be like a version of the internet that you are not fluent in oh yeah i mean tiktok already like i'm not entirely sure like how to use tiktok or like what it's doing sometimes i like think maybe i should try it harder to like get comfortable with like the newer how stuff how old are you i'm 29 yeah it's interesting like if this this is your beat mm-hmm. right like this is what you do Mitt romney mentions in the atlantic that he's got a secret twitter and like people are literally coming to you and being like find it yeah and i did wonder i was thinking about like where does it go next like does it also catch up with you from some younger generation too and like whether you feel some pressure to like just be on every single service that ever comes out and yeah. know how to navigate all those things yeah like there was like someone i can't remember who but like I knew they were like on Fortnite and like I don't, I don't play Fortnite. I don't know how to use Fortnite. I like I went to a younger cousin actually and was like, "Is it possible to like find people on Fortnite?" <laughs> They're like, "No, you can't find anyone." And uh, I tried to make them do it anyway, but it didn't work. The other thing is like, yeah, these newer platforms like don't really have the same search functionality that, like Twitter does or like Facebook did. Like Facebook used to have graph search, which was like great for this sort of stuff because like it connected everything and it was like perfect, but they took it away. And so it's like a lot harder to use Facebook now and Twitter to kind of handicap their search. So like it used to be like great. And now for like some reason, like it won't pull up certain accounts and like it will only show certain dates. So you have to like mess with it a little bit to like get more specific to like find older stuff. And it's like getting much harder to generally just like acquire information. It's funny. It's like it's almost like... um you know, maybe part of it is a response to the stuff you're doing, but also like, it's like the platform is getting more cynical. Yeah. You know, it's like they, there was this, I mean, I feel as though it is now clear that like, there's not some grand plan. Right. With a lot of these places, they don't really know what they're doing. They're making it up and getting in trouble a lot. 
And like you can see that there was this time where it was like very optimistic and it was like everything will be open. Yeah, exactly. And now they're just like, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. Everything you've ever done is going to be available to like everybody. And like Twitter realized that like people were like finding old tweets to take out of context and like everyone was getting really, really mad about like everything. And so they made it a lot harder to find old tweets basically is what I think happened there. Do you think that there is like a shelf life for this thing that you're doing or will there be some version of it as the internet evolves and power continues. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining like any of us being alive in five years. So like, uh, I mean, <laughs> yes, in that sense. But like, I mean, uh, I also said that five years ago. So like, I'm sure something will be there. But uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like I kind of, I, I, I think I have a hard time just like thinking what the future will be like or even planning ahead more than like three weeks ahead of time. So uh, yeah, I'm sort of just, playing it by ear i'm sure i'll go away one day i hope so so i don't have to keep doing this honestly but you don't want to keep doing it not forever i mean it's like fun but also once i've like found something and like done something i have fun with it for a day but like like with the pure delecto stuff like the joke got unfunny to me so so fast and i like like especially like don jr was like posting memes of it and like it was just, like a nightmare like after like two days really yeah it's a nightmare to uncover something like well, that it's like it's like really fun until like yeah, at a certain point, it just like reaches like a certain like concentration where it's like I just like don't want to think about it again until like I do like the next thing. Does it feel like um, disassociated from you once Don Jr. is like tweeting memes about it? Or are you, when you see that, you're just like, this is, this is pretty crazy. Like I just took a Sunday afternoon and did some work and now it's become this crazy thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I like do stop associating with me once it's like taken on a life of its own just because like. Yeah, it just feels like I did whatever, and like now it's like out in the world. Yeah, I just I just like get very tired of whatever I do very quickly. <laughs> do you have like a uh, do you have a white whale? Yeah, I mean it's it's Don Junior's Twitter account wherever it is. That's like the thing I most desperately want to find. I mean, obviously, like a white whale would be like I don't know, like Trump having a fucking TikTok account that he uses to like take videos of himself like shitting or something but like uh other than that yeah <laughs> that's that, that's it yeah <laughs> that, 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 that would be great honestly it's funny i mean the, the trump era has been such like a boon to the news business mm -hmm. and it seems like a lot of your energy is also focused on like the administration yeah. and it's hangers on and like ivanka's sex playlist it's your anniversary today actually <laughs> Happy anniversary, Ivanka. Yeah, and Jared. Do you think that they have a new uh, sex playlist? I don't know. I mean, I hope not because that one was perfect, but <laughs> if she stopped using her Spotify as much, so it's hard to say. Did How did you find that one? I don't remember. I, I, I look for Spotify playlists periodically just to like see. Like, I, like I used to look for like their Amazon wish list periodically, but they took away that search function too, so like that's kind of shot now. But uh, Spotify's still there a little bit. Do you think that these places, just to get back to this like uh, sort of 30,000 foot view of these like uh, mm -hmm. websites, platforms, do you think that they're going to like, they will be able to effectively shut this stuff down or are they just going to keep creating new loopholes all the time? Like, will there be a new version of the wish list on Amazon? I mean, I, I don't think, I've like tried, like I've tried to like see if there was any like secret like backdoor I could like get into, but like so far I haven't been able to find anything like, uh, yeah, they basically just like make it harder to search for things but like no one was using it for like any normal purpose anyway like no one's going on there to be like i wonder what my friend wants and i can't just like ask her what her wish list says so like i'm gonna look it up like right it's another version of like super optimistic naive mm -hmm. like silicon valley thinking where it's like well, we'll, ha well everyone will have a wish list and everyone yeah. will be able to look at like everyone's interests and no one actually uses yeah, it yeah just like having it because you're able to and like which is great for me but like no one actually needs it yeah <laughs> Why do you focus so much on uh, conservatives? Well, I mean, obviously I'm liberal and I am more motivated to like cover like bad things about conservatives. But uh, I also just think that generally there is more hypocrisy in conservatives like professed beliefs versus like what they actually are doing. And I think that like the way or the best way to uncover that is like you have to be able to see the things that like they don't want you to. And for me, like the easy way to access that is what they're doing online because we are still in this period where like they were using the internet at a time where they it wasn't in the top of their minds that someone might be able to see this stuff or connect it back to them and uh yeah i mean i just also just find them generally a lot funnier like i i, I yeah i mean they are just generally kind of 
A, I think more cynical than Democrats and like their actions and like what they say. And yeah, just like we live in such an absurd time. Like it's great. It's a deeply absurd time. And it's also this deeply like polarized time. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason I was asking that was like these stories you've done have like gotten politicized. Mm -hmm. Like you get cast as a sort of like a left wing troll. Yeah. In that universe. And I just wonder whether that has like any impact on how you think about what you're doing. Not really. Like, I mean, I, I would love nothing more than to find, like, Pete Buttigieg's, like, whatever he's doing, like, secret account. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, like, more motivated to, like, seek out the other ones. And also, I think Democrats also just, like, more generally boring, especially, like, more, like, mainstream ones are the ones that I would be, like, motivated to, like, find. So there isn't as much to work with, I think. It seems like uh, an available path for you would be blackmail. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, uh, it seems like uh, you could really get dirt on just about anyone you want. Is there any, like, uh, do you have, like, files on people? Are you, like, are you holding stuff? Do you have, like, do you have some gems that you have not yet released? I have a folder on my desktop called Blackmail, but it's entirely, like, uh, stuff from my friends that I've collected over the years. (laughs) And I think they've seen most of it. If I, like, find, like some photo or they will say something in like a slack conversation that I can take out of context like that's usually where that goes uh for the most part not really I mean so when I found Eric Eric Trump's YouTube playlist I I connected back to his like old photo bucket account which he had actually deleted by then but I had found it two years prior and I had just like saved it all because I, I wasn't really sure what to do with it but like I figured Mike come in handy and so like, I still had those screenshots which was like useful and I save like everything I find uh, yeah you're just saving everything mm-hmm. all them including like slack messages at work and stuff like uh, yeah. how, how far does it extend your archiving there's a lot I have a lot of stuff like especially uh, so I have a lot of friends who delete all their tweets for the reasons we talked about and I think that is cowardly so I, I auto archive all of them and I have so like I have everything saved that like uh, a bunch of my friends have like tweeted that i it's almost hard to like search through them just because there's like so much but <laughs> just, just for anyone who's like uh who missed that basically what you're saying is you have a bunch of friends who delete all their tweets and you go and save them yes mm-hmm. so you can use them mm-hmm. yeah i have ttt which like lets you like connect apps or whatever so like anytime they tweet uh the date the text of it whatever gets saved to a google spreadsheet that i have very difficult person to be friends with it's great i love having access to it <laughs> Do you ever hear from the people you've, like, uh, exposed? No, not directly. Like, I try. They just generally do not want to talk to me, which I uh, wish was not the case, but... I'd like to talk to you about someone that you did talk to, mm-hmm. who is uh, Jack Dorsey. Yes. Who also you uh, occasionally reached out to. I read this interview that you did in January with Jack Dorsey, and it was kind of like when he was doing this big press tours like mm-hmm. I feel like there's this like six week period where like there were just a bunch of Dorsey interviews and uh, and yours was my favorite and it starts with a screen grab of your DMs to Dorsey where you just keep telling him to delete Twitter mm-hmm. like just kill the website like basically you're just trolling Jack Dorsey yeah. are you just doing that all the time I, the reason I started doing it was because he, he followed me one day I don't remember why and I was like well if I have access to his DMs it would be irresponsible not to like use it to like for the public good. So, like, I would ask him to delete the website. And, like, anytime something bad happened on Twitter, yeah, I felt like I had a responsibility to, like, ask him to, like, fix this terrible thing that existed. And uh, I've tried to message Zuckerberg, too, which, like, he doesn't read or respond. But Dorsey, like, actually would read them because, like, I, you could see, like, the red receipts. And so I would know he was, like, seeing it. So it's, like, of course I want to keep doing it. And uh, the Twitter PR people were actually uh, very annoyed, I think, that, like, I had gotten an interview that way uh right you got an interview right. through like after saying delete twitter mm-hmm. a bunch of times in his dms you were like want to have an interview yeah yeah and he actually said yes which is kind of shocking yeah i mean i expected no response like i was very very surprised that he said anything at all and yeah and so when i like went there the twitter PR guy, he was like so you figured out how to get an interview with jack dorsey which is like not going through us and i was like sorry about that guy <laughs> but uh why do you think he did it I think he likes thinking of himself as, like, someone who's unafraid to, like, face tough questions and someone who can, like, talk to anyone and, like, dialogue is very important. And, like, uh, he thinks that – I think he thinks that he is very, very smart and can, like, beat basically any reporter who wants to try to embarrass him or – Did that jive with your experience of him? Uh, As someone who's very smart? I think that he likes to think of himself as someone who's very smart. I think that he is – 
I mean, maybe he is smart, but like at this point, I think he is just like completely like become so engrossed in this like image of himself that like he's incapable of like seeing outside of like this thing that he thinks he created versus like what it actually is and like who he actually is like i mean he like sits there and just like rambles uh like zen koans that he, like makes up on the spot and that make absolutely no sense and but like sound profound if you're an idiot and so like it's, they sound very smart to him i'm sure but uh yeah i think that he is a perfect tech ceo <laughs> I feel like through um, some transfers, you definitely just called him an idiot. Yeah, I mean, he's a very dumb person. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Um, what was that interview like for you? It was weird, just because. Yeah, I mean, I expected the the like guy who was in the room with us to like stop me a lot more, and he didn't. And so, like, I wasn't. I, I wasn't sure what he was doing there, just because like I thought he would be like an interfere, but like. You mean like the PR guy? Yeah, yeah. And the impression I got too was that like. Because Dorsey works at Square half the day, and the impression I got was that like they're perfectly happy for him not to be in the office, just because like he like gets his hands and stuff and like messes stuff up, and um, it was also like very hard to talk to in general because the things he's saying don't mean things, and so like it's like hard to like build off of what he's saying just because like if there's no like agreed understanding of like what meaning in words is it's like hard to have like a conversation conversation as much as like talking at each other but uh yeah it was just like a very bizarre conversation have you interviewed lots of super powerful ceos no and like i'm i'm not i don't think i'm great at interviews like uh yeah i mean it's not something i do a lot mostly because people won't usually talk to me and uh, <laughs> because you're sending them dms like delete yeah. your website yeah like most people it does not work on so like after that like i remember my editor was like you try to get like more ceos i was like they're not gonna fucking speak to me <laughs> like, they, they don't want to and uh yeah i mean i think it worked just because like he is or at least like likes to project himself as this disruptor or, like unconventional like whatever right and uh he was like game to like play basically what was your best case scenario for that interview I mean, the best case scenario is, like, he admits to, like, being, like, good friends with, like, Richard Spencer or, like, something. But, like, uh, I really wanted him just to, like, say real things, which, like, I quickly realized was not going to happen. So, like, at that point, it was just, like, kind of trying to get him to acknowledge that he's not saying real things, which also didn't really happen, I think. But, like... Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I think that mostly I just like wanted to like get a sense that he understands what the actual issues with his website are, are which is not what happened. <laughs> you didn't come away feeling no. uh, feeling confident about that? Yeah, did not. Uh, there's another thing about that interview, which I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. Like, they're jokes. Yeah. And one of them, the one that like actually made me laugh out loud, I was reading it today, was like, um, you're basically like, my goal in this is to get him to say anything mm-hmm like concrete substantial like tangible something you could like put your fingers on and uh instead he said things like this and there's like a long block yeah. quote of text and it's formatted as a Q&A later but there's this intro and there's a long block quote of text for him and like the next slide is like technically those are words mm-hmm. and like it's just funny and it so much of your stuff is funny like really funny <laughs> thank you and it almost feels to be like some weird blend of like comedy and journalism does that resonate with you at all yeah, I mean, like, I I'd seek to make the things I write entertaining, but, like, I mean, the other thing is, like, I'm, like, just, like, completely incapable of, like, writing things not in my voice. Like, I just, like, can't write about things that don't sound like me, and I'm really bad at, like, feigning interest in things that I'm not interested in, like, and uh, it's fortunate that I am, like, able to do this, because, like, otherwise I'd be, like, fucked, but, like, yeah, it's, like, the only way I know how to, like, write things, basically, is, like, I would talk about them, I guess. That was what I loved about that interview compared to, again, like he was on this tour. Dorsey mm-hmm. was on this tour and there's so many of them. And it was clear that most people who were interviewing him were like either looking for some crazy gotcha moment yeah. where he like admits a ton of stuff that he was never going to admit or quite like clearly believed that he was not saying anything of substance but couldn't say that or find mm-hmm. some way to say it. It's just kind of like, I'm going to get through this interview, you know? And what I loved about what you did was like you just like owned it named it and then like made it pretty funny yeah I mean I think I think the issue with that is like a lot of people are very entranced by like power like it understandably like it's like a very seductive thing and like I 
it I sound like I, I feel so stupid saying this because like it sounds like such like a thing you would say to like try to sound cool but like I just like genuinely don't care like it like he doesn't like I, it's cool that he has like a lot of money but like it's, it's not something that like appeals to me or like intimidates me or like I'm not like scared of Jack Dorster I don't want to impress him like he's an idiot like why would I want to like impress him like it's uh I think a lot of it just comes down to me not caring I guess so, like not like not caring since like not giving a shit about anything but just like i don't care what he thinks of me I think or what like people who like him think of me yeah I mean but it does seem like you're interested in power in some way yeah I'm interested in like exposing it as a fraud I think but like to that degree or like how much it is like meaninglessly distributed but it's not something that like I'm interested in like in terms of being close to it and then also I think it's like Gawker just kind of that's I was like my first like real job and so like I just like have ingrained in my training like be funny whenever you can and it's yeah wasn't actually your first job though it was like Gizmodo same sort of but also the uh, the San Antonio Express yeah well that was like an internship in college I went, I went back and read some San Antonio <laughs> Express stuff there's there, you wrote a thing it was like a, a guide to being an intern that, that's like one thing that like my friends will like bring up because like it physically hurts me to like read those now just because like it's like I was trying like so so hard and I can like feel it just like it like it like hurts my eyes do you remember that time yeah that's the other thing is like I used to like write just in terms of like I would try to insert like 10 jokes in like every sentence and like it was just like so tortured like it it, it was a dark time really I mean dark in the sense that, like it I think they were really bad but like <laughs> Yeah. Did, did it I started out writing it all weeklies too and oh, yeah. I feel like you were sort of encouraged to like be yourself and mm-hmm. make jokes and when you were like there at the San Antonio Express and trying to pack in like 15 mm-hmm. jokes at a time did the writing feel like you did you feel like in the same way that you're saying now that like the only way you know how to write mm-hmm. is just the way you would talk about it did you feel that way then yeah I think so I mean I think I just uh I like it, it's fun to like make people laugh and to like make fun of things and like uh yeah, and also, I d- yeah, I just, like, have a hard time uh, basically taking anything too seriously, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, it's just an instinct to, like, immediately... It's also, like, jokes for, like, a defense mechanism, and so, like, it's just kind of, like, an ingrained thing. Did Gawker feel like the obvious place for you to be? Yeah, so I moved to New York right after I graduated, and I actually wanted to work at Gawker, but Gizmodo was the one that had internships available. So I applied there. I, like lied a lot in my interview about knowing what android was and like <laughs> understanding tech uh, you just like straight up lied really. uh yeah yeah and, and i i talked to them like I'm, i mean i'm still friends with people who were interviewing me they're like yeah it was very obvious you didn't know what the fuck you were talking about <laughs> they uh, still hired you yeah i mean my i think because like i like submitted like funny little like practice posts or whatever and like they were fine and so yeah but and it worked <laughs> out like i i'll go back and read now like this post i had to write in 15 minutes about like these new chips that IBM was whatever like I have no idea what the fuck I was saying like it must have been correct because like in the comments no one's like saying you're an idiot like why are you saying these things that don't make sense but it's just uh, like knowledge that went into yeah. your brain and passed out of it immediately like yeah. I, I I don't know how I did it but it happened somehow we spent a lot of time on this show with other folks kind of talking about the Gawker era mm-hmm. and how it ended so I don't want yeah. to take you too far down that road but I don't know how did it feel to you when you actually landed a Gawker and you were like you were doing your thing. It was great. I mean, it was it was extremely, extremely fun. It was like, it's kind of depressing because like, I know that like, no, I mean, almost certainly no other workplace will be like as fun as that was at that time before everything went to shit. But uh, I mean, it's like you're working with all your friends. There's like, they have similar senses of humor. I felt very much like I could like be myself and was like encouraged to do that. Uh, it was just very, very fun and uh then also this fact that like everyone I worked with was like so so smart and like all my editors were like fantastic like I I, not that the places I worked like haven't had a lot of smart people but just like the fact that like everyone there was like so sharp and like so whatever it was just like I, I don't think I realized how rare that is did it feel like your people yeah it was like the perfect place also just like to learn how to do these things because like I could like fuck up and like I would get yelled at, but like it was fine. You like move on. You like write something else. Like then another hour and like uh, literally yelled at. I mean, no. Like it'd be like, why the fuck did you do that? But like, <laughs> uh, there was one thing that gets motivated that was like bad. Like it was like uh, even to think about it now like makes me like very like stressed out. Like it and it was such a dumb thing. It was 
there was a Wall Street Journal article about how Monopoly was getting rid of jail. And so, and this was like when I had just started, like moved from like an intern to writer and like I was just starting to like learn how to like blog. And so I like wrote this like big long screen about how absurd it was they were getting rid of jail and like just whatever. And uh, we posted it and like literally five minutes after it went out, my editor messaged me and he was like, are, are you sure they're getting rid of jail? And I was like, yeah, of course. What do you mean? He was like, every single comment immediately says that this is not true. And so I like went back and I like misread the Wall Street Journal article a little <laughs> bit because it was confusingly worded in my defense. But uh, the entire post was like premised on something that was not true. And uh, and like it was like shooting up like the like Charpy thing. And like I was, it was like very, very bad. He was very mad about that. How'd you handle it? Uh, he was, I was like, I'm so sorry. Like I'll like fix it. He was like, I'm already like writing a correction. Like just, and then he didn't talk to me for a few hours, which <laughs> was like very bad. But, uh, that must've been a, uh, deeply unpleasant few hours. Yeah. I like, every time I remember that post, like I just like a part of me just like dies a little bit more, but, uh, I moved on. You've worked like a couple of different places since then and like bounced around a little bit. I feel like you've like moved pretty quickly. Uh, why, why? Uh, I mean, that's sort of the other thing is like, Gawker, I think sort of ruined me for other places just cause like it was so fun that like, it's like hard to have like a normal job now. Uh, like Wired, I like her when they're a lot, but like, A, I think I overestimated like how much I wanted to write about tech slash that I wanted to write about tech at all. And, uh, yeah, cause I'm used to also just like at Gawker, if I wanted to write something that like fit at another website I, I could like do that or like if i wanted to like make some weird car joke i could like go to jalopnik and be like will you publish this and they're like sure or, like whatever we don't care <laughs> and uh that doesn't really work in other places i found so uh yeah i'm used to sort of just like having this like insane amount of like freedom that doesn't actually exist anywhere and uh yeah but it's sort of kind of basically just from like trying to like find somewhere where like i can do the things i want that people get mad at that everyone else is okay with help me uh, unpack that last sentence yeah. i understand what you mean like uh i mean like there's like people will get very mad at some of the things i write a lot and like you sort of have to like have the correct constitution to like be able to like take that and understand that like this is just going to happen and that it's not based on like real actual mistakes as much as like conservatives getting mad that like i'm making fun of them or whatever and uh bad faith arguments and like I feel like a lot of people have like kind of started to understand like when these arguments or like outrages are like real and when they're not, but like it's still touch and go, I feel like. And you have felt that those places like sort of institutionally, they just didn't quite get it? Yeah, just like the institutional voice doesn't fit. Like, uh, that's that was the thing about Gawker is like whatever Gawker felt like at certain times was because of who the writers were. Like each writer was kind of writing in their own voice and it's harder to do that at other places like HuffPost was great but like there's like a certain like HuffPost aesthetic that like I would have to like actively like try to fit which is just was like very difficult for me what was hard about it mainly like I just find it frustrating to not be able to like say the things that were like when I have like a really good joke that I can't make like I, it's like annoying and like that <laughs> makes me mad and would uh, you put them in and get them taken out yeah yeah I started like with like putting in like more like outrageous things than I would otherwise hoping that like they would take that out and like leave me something else in but like uh and, and like I still got like a, almost everything through it's just like uh then feeling like I needed to tone things down just because like it should be that uh yeah, I just like it doesn't work everywhere. When you were at those places and you felt like you were having to tone stuff down, my sense of your Twitter was that it was not toned down. Yeah, I mean that that like the reason I started like tweeting so much honestly was because like uh, after Gawker died and I went to the special projects desk investigation thing they started at GMG. Yeah, my editor John Cook wanted me to like focus on like longer things and stop blogging so much and uh which i was excited about but like i was used to like having that like constant outlet so like i needed somewhere to like shoot off like jokes i thought or like weird shit i found that like wasn't worth like a however long investigation and uh yeah and so now it's just like i kind of just like don't really think much about it and just kind of send stuff off as it happens (laughs) i feel like um much like the uh large technology platforms we were talking about like everyone is getting more careful like yeah the internet feels like a more careful place uh, you're more likely to get like, uh, you know, canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's an anxious moment, I think, for a lot of people. You seem to um, not give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, the thing is like, it's not, I, I don't think it's that hard not to like say something that's like accidentally racist or like accidentally like sexist or anti-Semitic. Like it's, it's not. And uh, I think that 
maybe a lot of people said like if you don't treat a ton and you just like see this stuff happen you think that it can happen to anyone maybe but like yeah I mean it's it, I really don't think like it's not that dangerous of a time if you are not like just like a casually bad person I don't think like if you're um what you're saying is like if you're just uh, authentically yourself, you yeah. you, uh, you shouldn't get canceled unless it turns out that uh, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah, I mean, if you're authentically yourself and yourself is not someone who like hates minorities, like I think generally you're like fine or like someone like what I found have found is like very interesting. It's like especially like there's like a weird strain in the New York Times where like they do a lot of like tweets like anti-homeless person tweets that like it was like a few years ago when Mike, Michael Barbaro there was like t- took a photo of like a subway underpass and like there's like a homeless guy just like sitting there and he was like this underpass has gotten like dangerous and like this is like a unsatisfactory or like whatever like tweeting at NTA and like it's just like these like things that like seem benign to them I think because like it's just sort of yeah it's like general like outlook and lack of awareness of kind of where the power lies I think that like gets them in trouble a lot when they're which is why I think they're like feel so nervous or careful because like they don't understand like why this is happening yeah yeah do you feel like um you become a powerful person I mean I I, I in the sense that like yeah I, mean, I can say things and like they'll reach a lot of people or like uh I, th- I think yes in the sense that like I hesitate to like I, I used to be a lot meaner to a lot more people on Twitter when I was less read and like now that I know whatever will like carry out so like however many more years like I just instinctively like will not call someone out for something unless they're like more prominent than me basically you're, you're like pretty aware of trying not to punch yeah me. do you feel like um yeah I think that's part of what is interesting is as one like gets more successful you mm-hmm. know is like even if you sort of like um have a pretty strong like underdog narrative yourself yeah. like at some point the world stops seeing you that way right right and you feel like you've like navigated that pretty well so far i mean i hope so uh like I'm, I'm sure like i like fuck up sometimes and we'll like go out for someone who i like, would probably better like not to but uh yeah i mean I, I try generally to settle my targets on people who have significantly more power more influence than i do there is one gawker question that um we have like just talked to so many people who who work there and so many people who like work there in that moment, you know, but it's been a little while and I feel like um, the like Gawker alumni network mm-hmm. has maybe like stabilized a little bit. What do you mean? I just feel like um, people have like landed in oh, yeah, their yeah, jobs yeah. and like they've been there yes. for a while and like it Hogan feels like a while ago mm-hmm. to me, at least like an in internet time. Yeah. What what is the impact that like that group of people is gonna have on on journalism? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I mean there's I mean there's, there's like a reason I gravitate to places where like old Gawker people are just because yeah I mean there's like a certain sensibility and kind of instinct I think that yeah that like Gawker kind of instilled in people that is hard to replicate I found and. Uh, like like Corey at the New York Times was like fucking great. Like the style section is fantastic and like yeah, it's like uh I think the thing that like most epitomized it was like uh when he first started he sent this like straight news photojournalist to the Oscars and like the photos they came away with were just like unlike anything I've like seen from Oscar photography because it was like looking at things that like people don't normally look at and it's like I think it's that sort of sensibility that is great to kind of see spread out a little more, even if it's not as concentrated in one place or not as unadulterated as it used to be. Like it is a useful thing to kind of for these establishment places to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's just like, I, I feel like there are now all these Gawker people that are basically like running these establishment places or yeah. at least are very high up. And I wonder how much uh, that will like in some large scale way change those places yeah i mean it, the, like it, it also works the other way where like uh the old gawker people get more careful and more like uh kind of i don't want to say like more responsible but like more establishment whatever yeah. whatever what i'm looking for uh but yeah i mean there's still like some osmosis the other way where like they are also affecting these places and like kind of sneaking in things wherever they can and yeah 
There's like a, one other aspect of your mm-hmm. work, which I like to talk about, and I don't uh, have like a good transition yeah, yeah. for it because so much of your stuff is like really funny mm-hmm. and these kind of like investigations that lead to like uh, these hilarious revelations and like you're talking to Jack Dorsey and it's all just like super funny mm-hmm. and also super well reported. And then there are all these two pieces that you have written about your family. Mm-hmm. I don't have some good way to transition. Yeah, I mean, there's not. Um, But I do want to ask you about them because they're incredible pieces of writing. Uh, Two members of your family, your your father and Mm -hmm. your sister, um, committed suicide. And I am interested in that part of your writing life and what the experience was like to put that out there Mm -hmm. when it's so distinct from everything else that you put out there. Yeah, what I was saying before about like you're being a defense mechanism, like I think that is also a lot of the reason why like I am funny just because like, my family like me and my brother like that's how like how we like dealt with it is like making jokes and like whatever and uh yeah but then also like that is such like a huge part of like sort of like how I see the world and like how I interact with the world I think that like uh before I wrote the first one about my dad at Gawker like I don't know like it felt almost dishonest to like that people didn't know about it just because like it was a piece on Father's Day right, right. and about how hard Father's Day is yeah yeah and uh yeah, because, like, at that time, people I worked with, I, I think most of them, I'm sure, didn't know that, like, my dad had died, much less, like, committed suicide or, and uh, or my sister. And, uh, yeah, and it just felt like they only, like, half knew me because of that. And uh, because I had this platform now, it felt like I, again, had a responsibility to, like, talk about this thing that isn't talked about a lot and that uh, is, like, shoved it under the rug a lot and... Yeah, and I, I think that's part of what it is. is like, it feels irresponsible not to use this to, and to like, because like, it, it's it's not common to have two in one family, and it felt like I, yeah, I just had a responsibility to like, use what opportunities I have been given to kind of tell the story that is also very rare, I guess. And part of it also was maybe like trying to find just some way to like let people around you know, right? You yeah, talk yeah. About it. What kind of response did you get? And uh, I mean, so... What do they mean to you now, I think, is actually what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I think they are sort of an anchor in the sense that, like, they exist as sort of, like, a reminder that, like, I have this other story that, like, it kind of still needs to be told, I guess, and that uh, I think also this just sort of exists as, like, a indicator that, like, of where a lot of what I do comes from in the sense of like also like the lack of caring about stuff I think makes more sense just because I mean like one thing I noticed like after my dad died and even more so after my sister died was I just like really stopped caring about like dumb shit that like everyone else would get like really really worked up about like my roommate would come home and like complain to me about someone was like whatever at work and then like I would like be sitting there like I don't give a shit about any of this like I'm thinking about how I'm never gonna see my sister again like this is like stupid and uh yeah and I think sort of that that just like really I didn't used to be like that and I have like a really hard time getting upset about things now or like getting stressed out about stuff that like really doesn't matter and I think those sort of like explain where that comes from a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah has that like stuck with you like um is that just like a, a part of who you are now that you're just like not going to let l- the little shit bother you, including like potentially like having half the internet very mad at you? Yeah, I mean, I I hope so. Like it's, uh, I mean, I hope it's not just some like rep- repressed thing that's going to like come out in like 10 years and I like, have like a breakdown. But, uh, and like it, it, like when it gets really bad online or like, like there was like a period last year, I forgot what triggered it, but like people were like posting like my address and stuff and like that, like, I mean, it, it sucks really, really bad. Uh, but it's also... Yeah, I, mean, I think I'm just able to put it in perspective slightly more. So, like, it feels really bad at the time, but I can also move on very quickly, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think at this point it's, like, a permanent state of being where it's very hard to get me worried about stuff that it seems insignificant. That makes sense. So it does feel really connected to this work that you're doing. In that sense, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. And that, like one thing I really want to do is like recently, actually, I started looking because uh, I, I remember my dad's old username he used to use. And like I found these like forums he was posting on like and like a couple of years before he died, like mostly about like benign like stock stuff. But like it was just, like very, very bizarre to like see. And like I at some point really want to sort of just like do 
a dive like I do with like politicians on like my dad and my sister. It's just like find the things that like are still kind of exist out there that I don't actually have access to wow. readily. You should do that. Yeah, I want to. It's uh, yeah. I it, it just I think it's gonna take a while. It's because like they're all from like 2002 on these like weird finance forums that were like whatever and yeah. Oh, you should really do that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey Ashley, thank you for doing this. Yeah, happy to happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor is Janelle Piper, and our intern is Marina Clementi. Thanks to them. Thanks to our sponsors, MailChimp and Pit Writers. And thanks very much to Ashley Feinberg for doing this work that she's doing and uh, for doing the work that she will do. We'll see you next week. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.